Section 16 of Under the Greenwood Tree. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Under the Greenwood Tree by Thomas Hardy. Part 2, Chapter 8. Dick Meets His Father. For several minutes Dick drove along homeward, with the inner eye of reflection so anxiously set on his passages at arms with fancy, that the road and scenery were as a thin mist over the real pictures of his mind. Was she a coquette? The balance between the evidence that she did love him and that she did not was so nicely struck that his opinion had no stability. She had let him put his hand upon hers. She had allowed her gaze to drop plumb into the depths of his, his into hers, three or four times. Her manner had been very free with regard to the basin and towel. She had appeared vexed at the mention of Shiner. On the other hand, she had driven him about the house like a quiet dog or cat, said Shiner cared for her, and seemed anxious that Mr. Maybold should do the same. Thinking thus, he neared the hand-post at Melstock Cross, sitting on the front board of the spring-cart, his legs on the outside, and his whole frame jigging up and down like a candle-flame to the time of Smart's trotting. Who should he see coming down the hill but his father, in the light wagon, quivering up and down on a smaller scale of shakes, those merely caused by the stones in the road? They were soon crossing each other's front. "'Way, hey!' said the tranter to Smiler. "'Way, hey!' said Dick to Smart, in an echo of the same voice. "'Thist hauled her back, I suppose,' said Reuben, peaceably. "'Yes,' said Dick, with such a clinching period at the end, that it seemed he was never going to add another word. Smiler, thinking this the close of the conversation, prepared to move on. "'Way, hey!' said the tranter. "'I tell thee what it is, Dick. "'That there maid is taken up thy thoughts "'more than's good for thee, my sonny. "'Thou'rt never happy now "'unless thou'rt making thyself miserable about her "'in one way or another.' "'I don't know about that, father,' said Dick, rather stupidly. "'But I do. "'Way, Smiler! "'I'd rot the woman. "'Tis nothing else we am nowadays "'but getting young men and leading them astray. "'But, father!' "'You just repeat what all the common world says. That's all you do.' "'The world's a very sensible feller on things in general, Dick. Very sensible indeed.' Dick looked into the distance at a vast expanse of mortgaged estate. "'I wish I was as rich as a squire when he's as poor as a crow,' he murmured. "'I'd soon ask fancy something.' "'I wish so too. We are my heart, sonny, that I do. Well,' "'Mind what beast about, that's all.' Smart moved on a step or two. "'Supposing now, father, way, hey, Smart, I did think a little about her, and I had a chance which I hadn't. Don't you think she's a very good sort of, of, one?' "'Aye, good, she's good enough. When you've made up your mind to marry, take the first respectable body that comes to mind. She's as good as any other.' They be all alike in the groundwork, tis only in the flourishes there's a difference. She's good enough, but I can't see what the nation of young fellow like you, with comfortable house and home, father and mother to take care of ye, and who sent ye to a school so good that twas hardly fair to the other children, should want to go hollering after a young woman for, when she's quietly making a husband in her pocket, and not troubled by chicken her child to make a poverty-strict wife and family of her and neither hat, cat, wig, nor waistcoat to set em up with. Be drowned if I can see it, and that's the long and the short up, my sonny.' 
Dick looked at Smart's ears, then up the hill, but no reason was suggested by any object that met his gaze. "'For about the same reason that you did, father, I suppose.' "'Dang it, my sonny, you got me there,' said the tranter. And the tranter gave vent to a grim admiration, with the mien of a man who was too magnanimous not to appreciate artistically a slight rap on the knuckles, even if they were his own. "'Whether or no,' said Dick, "'I asked her a thing going along the road.' "'Come to that, is it? "'Turk, won't thy mother be in a taking? "'Well, she's ready, I don't doubt. "'I didn't ask her anything about having me, "'and if you'll let me speak, I'll tell you what I want to know. "'I just said, did she care about me? "'And then she said nothing for a quarter of a mile, "'and then she said she didn't know.' Now, what I want to know is, what was the meaning of that speech? The latter words were spoken resolutely, as if he didn't care for the ridicule of all the fathers in creation. The meaning of that speech is, the tranter replied deliberately, that the meaning is meant to be rather hid at present. Well, Dick, as an honest father to thee, I don't pretend to deny what you do know well enough. That is, that her father being rather better in the pocket than we, I should welcome her ready enough, if it must be somebody. But what do you think she really did mean? said the unsatisfied Dick. I'm afeard I am not of much account in guessing, especially as I was not there when she said it, and seeing that your mother was the only woman I ever came into such close quarters as that with. And what did mother say to you when you asked her? said Dick musingly. I don't see that will help eh? The principle is the same. Well, I, what did she say? Let's see. I was oiling my working-day boots without taking em off and with my head hanging down when she just brushed on by the garden hatch like a flittering leaf. And I said, says I, and then, But, Dick, I'm afeard twill be no help to thee, for we were such a rum couple, your mother and I. Leastways, one half was, that is myself, and your mother's charms was more in the manner than in the material. Never mind, Anne, you said. Anne, said I, as I was saying. Anne, I said to her when I was oiling my working-day boots, with my head hanging down. What had me? What came next, I can't quite call up at this distance of time. Perhaps your mother would know. She's got a better memory for her little triumphs than I. However, the long and short of the story is that we were married somehow, as I found afterwards. It was on White Tuesday. Melstock Club walked the same day, every man two and two, and a fine day twas, hot as fire. How the sun did strike down on my back going to church. I well can mind what a bath of sweating I was in, body and soul. But fans will have thee, Dick. She won't walk with another chap, no such good luck. I don't know about that, said Dick whipping at Smart's flank in a fanciful way, which, as Smart knew, meant nothing in connection with going on. There's Parson Maybold, too. That's all against me. What about he? She's never been stuffing into thy innocent heart that he's enough with her. Lord, the vanity of maidens. 
no no but he called and she looked at him in such a way and at me in such a way quite different the ways were and as i was coming off there was he hanging up her birdcage well why wouldn't the man hang up her birdcage turk sees it all what's that got to do with it dick that thou beest a white-livered chap i don't say but if thou beestn't as mad as a capel-faced bull let me smile no more oh ay and what's think now dick i don't know here's another pretty kettle of fish for thee who d'ye think's the bitter weed in our being turned out did our party tell ee no why parson maybold i s'pose shiner because he's in love with thy young woman and do want to see her young figure sitting up at that queer instrument and her young fingers rum strumming upon the keys a sharp ado of sweet and bitter was going on in dick during this communication from his father shiner's a fool no that's not it i don't believe any such thing father why shiner would never take a bold step like that unless she'd been a little made up to and had taken it kindly pooh who's to say she didn't i do the more fool you why father of me has she ever done more to thee no then she has done as much to he rotham now dick this is how a maid is she'll swear she's dying for thee and she is dying for thee and she will die for thee but she'll fling a look over t'other shoulder at another young feller though never leaving off dying for thee just the same she's not dying for me and so she didn't fling a look at him but she may be dying for him for she looked at thee i don't know what to make of it all said dick gloomily all i can make of it is the tranter said raising his whip arranging his different joints and muscles and motioning to the horse to move on that if you can't read a maid's mind by her motions nature does seem to say thou ought to be a bachelor click click smiler said the tranter and the tranter moved on dick held smart's rein firmly and the whole concern of horse cart and man remained rooted in the lane how long this condition would have lasted is unknown had not dick's thoughts after adding up numerous items of misery gradually wandered round to the fact that as something must be done it could not be done by staying there all night reaching home he went up to his bedroom shut the door as if he were going to be seen no more in this life and taking a sheet of paper and uncorking the ink-bottle he began a letter the dignity of the writer's mind was so powerfully apparent in every line of this effusion that it obscured the logical sequence of facts and intentions to an appreciable degree and it was not at all clear to a reader whether he there and then left off loving miss fancy day whether he had never loved her seriously and never meant to whether he had been dying up to the present moment and now intended to get well again or whether he had hitherto been in good health and intended to die for her forthwith he put this letter in an envelope sealed it up directed it in a stern handwriting of straight dashes easy flourishes being rigorously excluded 
He walked with it in his pocket down the lane in strides not an inch less than three feet long. Reaching her gate, he put on a resolute expression, then put it off again, turned back homeward, tore up his letter and sat down. That letter was altogether in a wrong tone. That he must own. A heartless man-of-the-world tone was what the juncture required. That he rather wanted her, and rather did not want her, the latter for choice, but that as a member of society he didn't mind making a query in jaunty terms which could only be answered in the same way. Did she mean anything by her bearing towards him, or did she not? This letter was considered so satisfactory in every way that being put into the hands of a little boy, and the order given that he was to run with it to the school, he was told in addition not to look behind him if Dick called after him to bring him back, but to run along with it just the same. Having taken this precaution against vacillation, Dick watched his messenger down the road and turned into the house, whistling an air in such ghastly jerks and starts that whistling seemed to be the act the very furthest removed from that which was instinctive in such a youth. The letter was left as ordered. The next morning came and passed and no answer. The next, the next, Friday night came. Dick resolved that if no answer or sign was given by her the next day, on Sunday he would meet her face to face and have it all out by word of mouth. Dick, said his father, coming in from the garden at that moment, in each hand a hive of bees tied in a cloth to prevent their egress. I think you'd better take these two swarms of bees to Mrs. Maybold's tomorrow, instead of me, and I'll go wee Smiler in the wagon. It was a relief, for Mrs. Maybold, the vicar's mother, who had just taken into her head a fancy for keeping bees, pleasantly disguised under the pretense of its being an economical wish to produce her own honey, lived near the watering-place of Budmouth Regis, ten miles off, and the business of transporting the hives thither would occupy the whole day, and to some extent annihilate the vacant time between this evening and the coming Sunday. The best spring cart was washed throughout, the axles oiled, and the bees placed therein for the journey. End of section 16. Recording by Rachel Linton, Bristol, UK.